You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. For most of my life, I would consider myself a pretty strong atheist up until I was about 17 was when things started to change for me. Um, so I had just gone through like a lot of really hard times at school and within my social life. And one of my friends had asked me to come to youth group that night just to come have fun. They were going bowling and I didn't really want to go, but I ended up going with him anyway because he insisted I come just have fun with him. And so I went and I had fun and it was a good time, but it definitely wasn't life changing yet. Um, so I definitely, from there, I didn't go back to youth group for a few months until the next time they had what they called an out night. So this time they were going down to the beach and the same friend invited me again and said, Hey Kyle, come along. And I was okay. Okay. I'll come. And so I came that time and I really built a connection with the youth pastor that time. Like we had a cool, just like get to know you dialogue. And like he really cared a lot. And that night was actually a ton of fun. So from there I started coming every night, like, cause every night, every Tuesday they would have their youth uh, ministry night where they would, We'd come together, we'd play a game for like an hour and then have a discussion for 50 minutes. And in the beginning, I was definitely there to go play the game and hang out with the people and, you know, just talk and have fun. And then for the discussion, I would sit there quietly and listen along, but not really to say buy-in is kind of crude, but to buy in to what they were saying. But I definitely listened because that's just kind of the person I am. I, I care a lot about information and I want to understand things. And so... After a few weeks of listening along and not really being able to piece together the understanding of what was happening, I asked my friend, like, I would, after youth group, I went home and I, I called my friend and I said, hey, I have some questions. Like, can you answer them? And so we talked that night and he was able to like paint, fill in the gaps that I had just from me not being growing up in the Christian church. And it made sense to me and I was, you know, very thankful for it. And so I kept going. And I was definitely getting more invested in understanding what was happening because I thought it was a really interesting perspective at the time, but I still wouldn't consider myself a Christian. And then probably about a month and a half after I started going to youth group, um, the youth pastor asked for someone to pray, pray out the evening. And my friend said, Kyle will do it. And I did not want to do it at all. And I protested for about 20 minutes before finally my youth, the youth pastor said, no, you are going to do it. And so that night I prayed and I felt like a fool because that was the first time I had ever prayed. And I was praying in front of, praying in front of 25 people, which was not exactly the perfect start for me, I didn't think. And I was very mad at my friend. But that night I went home and I guess like the act of like having to pray caused me to really rethink um, a lot of things. And I sat in bed that night and I was really wondering like, Like, what if it's not like all what I have pictured in my mind? Like, what if I was being ignorant in the past? What if there's something to this? And so there, I really, like, really dove into the conversations they were having. And I started participating now. So I would, like, offer my perspective on things instead of just sitting there quietly. And I tried to build an understanding. And that continued for a few months until we had a youth retreat. And on this youth retreat, the entire point of it was being restful and creating space for God in your life. And the youth pastor kind of worked specifically with me 
to like allow myself to open up to God and create a space for him to enter into my life and reach out to him. And so from there, I started praying a lot more and then really started diving more and more into the faith. And that ended up culminating with me getting baptized this past September. Hey, good morning, Mission Ridge. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, this is probably the only time you'll see me on set, so I'm wearing just one shirt. That's the goal for this week, one shirt. But uh, I loved Kyle's story. I uh, really appreciate him sharing that with us. I love that Caden saw beyond Kyle's doubts, beyond Kyle's convictions. He's, Kyle said he was an atheist. And uh, he saw potential in Kyle. And I uh, even love the fact he made him pray. Like, that's a bold move. But, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, after... Can't read my own notes. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about what it looks like to see what God sees in people. And, you know, we looked at the story of Sarah and Hagar. And when they looked at each other, they saw an obstacle. They saw an opponent. They saw something be hated instead of seeing the image of God in that person. Well, I believe that this story is connected to that story in some cool ways. And I think we're going to be able to learn how to be like Caden, Kyle's friend. How can we see what God sees in other people? And so we're going to jump into Genesis 18 this morning, starting verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there were three men standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread. Uh, maybe the understatement of the uh, century there that may refresh yourself and after that, you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abram, Abraham went quickly into the tent of Sarah and said, quick, three seeds of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Wow. Abraham offering food in this manner is called showing hesed. Um, I don't think I use quite enough phlegm in that, but uh, it means kindness. In the scriptures, that word is translated as mercy, loving kindness, steadfast love, compassion, and even goodness. But when you act in this way towards people, the Jews call that showing chesed. And showing chesed to strangers was a high value to a nomadic people 
of the scriptures. In fact, some would say that Abraham is a reason why this is such a high value for both Jews and Muslims because they find their ancestry through Abraham. Well, does Abraham know who he's serving? We're not totally sure about that. There's a couple words for the Lord um, that's used uh, throughout this story. Let's bring up that next slide. So you have Adonai, which is a common term. It's used for anybody who outranked you. And then you have what we as Christians call Yahweh. The Jews would call, would use this word and, and say Hashem. And, and we don't even totally have a right on this slide because the Lord on the, for Yahweh and Hashem is an all lowercase after the L. And those are, in our Bible, you'd see it as a capital, a smaller capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the way we should have presented that. But these are the two forms of this word. Whenever Abraham says something to the Lord, he calls him Adonai. But the narrator calls the Lord Yahweh, or as the Jews would say, Hashem, the name. So we don't know totally if, if Abraham knows he's serving the Lord. We just know that he's being very generous in the way he serves. Hebrews 13, 2, maybe give us a hint. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And so the Hebrew author seems to think that he doesn't know who he's serving. But I want to look at the way he serves. Let's talk about that a little bit. His quantity of service. He tells his wife to need three seahs of flour. Now, we don't have that measurement today. I had to look it up. It's somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of flour. That's a, that's a lot of morsels. And then he butchered a calf. He brought curds and milk. And when he says, let me grab you a morsel, I, I picture like grandma saying, let me get you a little something to eat. We probably all have that, that grandma or that aunt or that friend that when they say, let me get you a little something to eat, you know that you better be starving because <laughs> you're going to walk away very full. And then his quality of service, he, he ran to meet them. He hurried to the tent. He hurried to have bread made. He ran to the herd. The servant hurried to prepare the calf. And then he stands as a servant. It sounds like he doesn't even eat. Like he, he makes this feast and doesn't even invite anybody. The feast is for these three strangers, these three girls, these three foreigners. You know, there may be a connection between this story and the prodigal son story. We'll bring the scripture up later. But in all of the scriptures, there's only two patriarchs that see someone and they run to them. And so maybe Jesus is connecting his story to this story of how 
Abraham runs. Well, continuing on in verse nine, it says, uh, they say to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself. She's the second person to laugh over this proclamation, right? Saying, after I am worn out. In Hebrew, that literally means spent. Picture, picture your, your phone, the battery flashing a red battery. She is spent. And my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? Like she's longed for this for so long. And I'm not sure if she knows what to do with this. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. But he said, no, but you did laugh. Now, there's some things for us to unpack here and, and we will do that. There's a, um, at least one chiasm. There may be two different chiasms in here and the two different chiasms have different implications. We'll talk about that in footnotes. Uh, it's some interesting stuff to think about, but uh, we're gonna press on. Then the men sent out from there and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. Now, the Lord has said this piece over and over and over, right? And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. He said that before. But this is something new. For I chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. And what does that look like? By doing righteousness and justice. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Well, interesting question. Did God not know what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, he's, we, we talk about him being omniscient. He's all knowing is all present. Is he limited by space and time and understanding? And is his knowledge limited? I don't know if that's what's really going on here. I think in terms of when us dads or moms, 
when people hide Easter eggs and then we say to little children, let's see if we can find some eggs. Are we saying that because we're not sure? Nope. We're doing that to invite the kids into the process we're about to undergo. We're, we're doing that to build memories. We're, we're doing that to create tradition within our families. And I believe that God is inviting Abraham into the family business. He said, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in Abraham. Well, how is that? By doing righteousness and justice. And I believe that this is what it means to be a partner that God pursues. Like this is at the core, this is at the crux. All of our core values can be distilled down into this doing righteousness and justice. And the core values just speak to how we choose to live that out, how we believe we're supposed to live that out. And, and, and Abraham is learning that here. Now, when Logan last week spoke about this cycle of following, following God, being changed by God, being on mission with God, Abraham is maturing spiritually. He's growing in his faith. Let's look at the next slide. So Abraham spiritually started out as a wee little man, right? But over time, he grows spiritually. He grows in his understanding of what it means to be in relationship with God. His, his view spiritually is being expanded. And so the next slide, we see that God calls Abraham. Initially, his name is Abram. And so he goes where God calls him to. He, he starts to follow, but he doesn't get it all right. And so we see him go to Egypt and, and there's some problems there and he learns from those problems, but it's, he's roughly right. And then there's his relationship with his nephew, Lot. And really he thought Lot was gonna be his heir and that wasn't what God had at all, but he's sacrificially generous and he values family. And he's growing, he's growing in his relationship as he cycles through this spiritual growth of, of following, being changed and being on a mission with God. He's growing and, and each of these stories is another cycle through that. And so we have the blood path covenant, uh, blood path covenant and we see authenticity in Abraham. We see him go, I can't walk that path. I can't do that. I've already failed you. So we see authenticity. And then with, with Hagar, we see a unity and diversity, how, how when unity and diversity is not played out well, what that looks like. And then, uh, then last week, um, circumcision. And, and again, Abraham, roughly right, isn't just about the fact that we don't always get things right, but it's about this idea of, of engaging even though we may not get it all right. It's about pressing in even though it's gonna challenge us. And as our care group talked through that this week, we still wrestle 
even today, for, for many of us, uh, we've been following Christ for decades, for some uh, five, 10 years. Uh, and so it's still a wrestle. It still, it still challenges us, still causes us to uh, have some angst and, and have to take that step of faith. But Abraham is being invited into the family business. This is the next step. This family business of righteousness and justice. And you may be wondering, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in the family business of righteousness and justice? Well, let's see what the story says next. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do what such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of righteousness and wickedness going on in this conversation. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Do what is just. That's that same word as justice. Abraham, and the Lord said, if I find as Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So that's the first time Abraham approaches God on this. Abraham answered and said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it for lack if I find 45 there. So that's the second time. And he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. That's the third time. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there, he said. I think that's the fourth time. Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. The sixth time. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. And when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Well, six times Abraham goes to the Lord. And I want to think about what connects these two stories, the, the story on the front end of, of 18 and the back end of 18. What connects these two stories? Abraham stood before the Lord to serve him food. And then he stands before the Lord to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham sees Hagar. 
He sees the strangers. God sees Sarah. She laughs. It's too good to be true, but God sees her. And then Abraham sees the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, not just their sin, but their humanity. Did you notice in verse 27, he says, I am but dust and ashes. I think he says, I am but dust, referring back to when the Lord said, from dust you come and, and, and to the dust you shall return. In other words, we are all made up the same stuff. And he says, I am but ashes, which would be the result, which would be the fate of some people, many people, most of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, did you feel that earthquake? I didn't. <laughs> we see <laughs> we see Abraham's sacrificial generosity through the way he will see needs and find ways to engage. His sacrificial generosity is seen in the way that he sees the needs, but he doesn't just see the needs because sometimes when I see needs, I walk the other way. I mean, haven't we all done that? We see a need and we're like, whew, too big for me. We're scrolling through Facebook. Someone says, hey, I need prayer. And I'm like, hmm, next post. Am I the only one? Can I get an amen? So he sees the needs and he finds a way to engage. There's... Hungry travelers, he provides food. There's a sinful city, he provides intercession. He's extravagant. He's extra, 50 pounds of flour. And it's not just Abraham, by the way. I mean, Sarah's wife is just, like she's needing 50 pounds. Like my hands get tired after two pounds. I don't know about you. They are extravagant. He says, let me get you a morsel. Let me get you a crumb is actually the, the sense of the Hebrew word. And then he runs and gets 50 pounds. And then to the Lord, he says, let me ask you a question. Six times he goes to him. Will you treat the righteous like the wicked? And so the implication is a sacrificially generous partner that God pursues will see needs and find ways to engage. And that's who we want to be as a church. We, if we're going to be the church, we have to see the stranger. And we have to see the spiritually lost. We have to run to those in need. We have to be extravagant. We have to pray earnestly. And so the first call to action is wrestle with what is getting in the way of you believing God. We saw that in Kyle's story. Kyle wrestled over why, why do I believe? What do I believe? What's getting in the way? Like, are my assumptions wrong? Is my perspective off? Why do I believe what do I believe? And, and Kyle didn't just wrestle by himself. He wrestled with friends. And I sat down with a young lady 
uh, last week and we talked about where she was at and she's wrestling with her care group over some big questions. I love that. It's fantastic. That's the way to go after it. So if you haven't been baptized, why? Jesus commands us to be baptized. So what's getting in the way? Do you know why? Have you been ignoring that conversation? If you're unsure if you'll make Jesus your Lord, what is going on there? What's at the heart? What's getting in the way? Wrestle, wrestle with God, wrestle with with your care group, wrestle within community, have those hard conversations. I love that Kyle's friend pursued him in that. He pursued him in that. He was dogged. Kyle was an atheist and now he's a follower of Christ. What an amazing story. I love those stories because it's my story too. Are your experiences getting in your way? Is your understanding getting in your way? My dad confused the poor choices of people to be God's actions. And then one night he prayed, Lord, I think my perspective of you is off. I need you to change that perspective. I need to understand who you are. I think that's a fantastic prayer. I invite you to pray it if you haven't done so already. And it led to my dad coming to Christ and being used by Christ for, for 20 years. We talked about this cycle of following Christ, being changed by Christ and being on mission with Christ. And so your first step may be trying to figure out if you're going to follow Christ. Well, in Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. It's that belief, it's that trust going, God, I don't understand anything else, but I know that you have to be true. That much I got figured out. My experiences are confusing. Some of the things that I, I've been led to believe, they don't quite make sense. I don't, how to, I don't know how to get this all to add up, but I know that you have to be true. That, that is enough to get started. That's enough to be considered righteous in God's eyes. So we invite you to wrestle with what is getting in the way of you believing God. And let's go back to that cycle. Maybe you've been following Jesus. Maybe you're being changed by Jesus, but maybe there's something that God wants you to believe about yourself that you're going to be able to move forward. And you're like, ah, I don't know if that's really true of me. I think Logan talked about that last week. What gets in the way of us embracing something new that God's calling us to? And oftentimes we don't want to be roughly right. We, we kind of like feeling settled and like we're on top of our game. And when we go where God wants us to go, it, it, it takes us sometimes into this place of feeling uneasy but when we actually go, we experience God in brand new ways and it's such a blessing and we get to see God work and 
we get to see people's lives change. It's, it's so cool. The second call to action, serve God with a cheerful heart. We see Abraham run. He hurried. He stood by to serve the Lord. He stood by the Lord in prayer. He came near six times. He asked a question. No one had to tell him to do any of those things. There was something inside him. With He had this cheerful heart, this something within him that said, oh, God, this is what I want to do. It wasn't grudgery. Apostle Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. And so whether you're giving of your money or you're serving the church or you're going to care group or you're going to life transforming group or you have to get up in the morning to read your scriptures so that when you sit down with your life transforming group, you, you could talk about what God was speaking to you throughout the week or you're praying for someone in need. I don't see this as something that you have to do, but do this with a cheerful, cheerful heart. Because then we'll be like Abraham. And then call to action three is wrestle with God for those who concern you the most. In our directed prayer, we said, let's pray for our enemies. Now, I don't see where I get to have enemies. You are not my enemy. I might be your enemy, but you are not my enemy. But the reality is there are people that, that concern us, people that we're like, I can't believe they're doing that. The people that we weep over even. You know, as I've watched my four grow up, there's just been times where I'm like, whew, why are you doing things like I did it? Don't do that. And so sometimes I've had to pray for them. They're the ones that concern me the most. I think of the prodigal son story and how the prodigal son comes to his senses. This is found in Luke 15, 19 through 20. The prodigal son says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father while he was still a long way off. His father saw him. He saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And I believe that this story and maybe one other story, we'll talk about that in footnotes. There's a couple stories that Jesus is thinking about and his disciples would be thinking about when they heard him tell this prodigal son's story. But how about you? Are you willing to wrestle with God for those who concern about you the most? Or do you see them as objects? Do you see them as opposition? Do you see them as roadblocks? Do you see them as problems? Maybe, maybe you're supposed to see them with compassion. Maybe that's what Jesus is calling us to. And then call to action number four, have crazy amounts of hope for the dysfunctional. If you don't have this, I want you to have this. And you know if you do or not. For some of us, we're just, 
like some people talk about the dysfunctional and, and they, they just sound crazy when they talk about them. Like, how can you be so hopeful for them? But I think that's what God calls us to, to be crazy about our hope for their dysfunctional. Abraham started with 50 righteous people and then he went to 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Think about this though. What was God's answer with the 50? He said, I will not destroy the city over the 50. Well, what about Mission Ridge? What about Missoula? I've heard, a, I've heard Missoula is a dark town. I've heard Missoula is a hard place to plant a church. What if we had 50 righteous people? And I think we do. What could happen in Missoula if we have 50 righteous people going, I'm going to live out sacrificial generosity like I see Abraham do in the scriptures. The thing that God invites Abraham into, he invites you and I into. And I don't care how dark this city is. I mean, I do, but I don't see that as an obstacle because I have a crazy amount of hope in, in how powerful our God is to change lives. He takes atheists and he puts them in charge of care groups and they haven't hit their 18th birthday yet. I love that Kyle comes to us with, with a relational discipleship DNA that we want to establish. He's, he's already been invested in for the last year in that. Does God have a sense of humor? Maybe. I have a crazy amount of hope of what God's able to do through you and me. And so do I see darkness in this town? Yeah. Do I see pockets of hopelessness? Absolutely. Do I believe God wants to do something through you and I? Yes. And so I invite you to have a crazy amounts of hope for the dysfunctional. And if you don't have that, I invite you to pray until you have it. I invite you to pray six times. I invite you to chase after it and keep going like, like Abraham does for a city that he wasn't even living in because we actually live here. This is our home. This has been your home. I've adopted this place because I know that God loves Missoula and I want to be part of what he does in this town. And so here we are. You know, when you have crazy amounts of hope for the dysfunctional, um, it's led to countless people overcoming addiction. It's saved countless marriages. It's restored hope to the hopeless. And it's led me to be your pastor. And so I hope that we will be a community that will chase after, chase after this, chase after this town with the same vigor that we see Abraham not only run to serve the Lord, but to intercede for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, it's time for us to take time and, and just uh, dwell on our Lord and Savior. We, we like to end the service many times. Uh, we take communion together week by week, but uh, we usually reserve this for the end where we really take time to contemplate, Lord, what are you calling me to? Because 
he is calling us all to something. And so we're gonna grab the elements. And for everyone wanting to take communion, uh, take the cup, take the bread. Hopefully you've had the time to uh, set those before you. But let's go ahead and take the next slide. And so the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he is betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so Jesus shows us what sacrificial generosity looks like. He saw our need and he's really ready to engage in that need. And so I believe that if we're going to take this together today, it's because we want to be a part of that mission with him. Will you take this with me? In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This is what Jesus was willing to do for you and for me. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Lord, I am so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for the invitation to join in what you're doing. And Lord, we're going to wrestle in our care groups this week over what justice and righteousness looks like. We're going to talk through that because that's a big conversation. We're going to talk about that in footnotes, but I pray that we'll learn to live this out well, Lord, that what we see lived out in front of us in Abraham that that would become the story of Mission Ridge in Missoula, that people would be like, they ran to me. I was ready to turn to the Lord and someone was there. They had been praying for me the whole time and they helped me. They helped me figure this out. Lord, I pray we be that kind of people. And when we see physical needs, Lord, when we see people hungry and thirsty, that we would run to them, that we'd be extravagant because you are an extravagant God. And so will you help us to know how to live that out well? I pray that your spirit would be upon us, that you would go before us, that we would choose to follow you. We love you. And we'll be faithful to this work until you return. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.